Hello and welcome back to GCD Transmissions, the podcast of Central St. Martin's Graphic Communication Design Program. I'm Peter Hall, your host, and as usual, we'll be looking at how leading practitioners in graphic design and design are thinking and working within the expanding field of practice. In this special podcast, we're at the London Design Museum with Stephen McCarthy and Pali Balavathanam for an event titled Power, Protest and Participation to coincide with the exhibition Hope to Nope, Graphics and Politics 2008-2018, curated by Graphic Design and with Margaret Cubbage at the Design Museum. So uh, a few questions then for you. Thank you very much, Pally and Stephen, for coming in to talk to us today. Um, Stephen is head of design for government as a platform at the Government Digital Service, where he's building a set of shared products that make services easier to create and cheaper to run. And he's also well known for Gov.UK, which he helped design, which won many awards, including a DNAD black pencil. Uh, Pali Palavathanen is creative director of Templo Design Studio, and Templo have worked on campaigns for the UN and Amnesty International, as well as Somerset House's British, British exhibition, as well as the International Trust and Justice Project Global Witness and Wired magazine. Pali, I'll turn to you first with my first question, which is where you are today, your impressive role, did politics and interest in politics lead you or have an impact in that, where you are? Well... It's it's a two sort of pronged question. Firstly, and thank you for pronouncing my name correctly. <laughs> I practiced. <laughs> no, everyone does it, um, or attempts to anyway. Um, so, I, twofold really. So, um, my my first experience of charity, for example, was receiving charity, and so when I became a graphic designer, got through to industry and started doing major rebrands for charities, etc. Everyone was sort of patting themselves on the back, thinking they'd changed the world. And I was looking around going, well, no, this is not enough. Having had that sort of background of being on the other side of the fence. So when I left my, my last job and started Templo, there's a real sense to, to sort of search further to see if there was a way to not just hand a logo over and sort of walk away, but sort of drive something, use branding, but drive it into a sort of political space where it sort of um, had more traction and we could do more damage. So it's a really interesting contrast between uh, sort of charity as a sort of performance piece versus your perception of charity as something that's sort of normal part of the social fabric. Is, yeah. that, is that the right distinction? Yeah, there's, two, yeah. There's, a, there's a massive dividing line between the two things and um, definitely... There's a Western type of charity and designing for charity and sort of walking away thinking you've done something amazing, but really it's a very passive way of um, attacking something and really you're just sort of nudging other people that are doing spectacular stuff in in sort of the right direction. And also having worked with loads of NGOs, etc., they're not actually fluid enough to tackle some of these bigger problems. So really the um, sort of established mechanism holds them back. So doing things in smaller teams is actually more powerful. The uh, quote that pops into head is the uh, William Blake, pity would be no more if we did not make somebody poor, which <laughs> uh, you know suggests that the sort of performance charity of the West depends on a kind of inequality and um, perhaps other forms of charity being more ground up or bottom up. And present a model for um, cohesion. Yeah. And what you're saying about NGOs being too big to work with, uh, contrasted with working with smaller 
community groups? Is that there? Well, no, it's just um, even, so for example, our Stop Torture project, which I'll show later, we bypassed all the big NGOs and we sort of collaborated with some of the world's leading human rights lawyers, such as um, Amal Clooney, for example, Yasmin Suka from South Africa, and we just did it ourselves mm. <laughs> and then drove that into the, um, the mechanism. One massive thing I've learned is NGOs and they actually trip each other up and they don't want to help each one another, which is really one of the biggest... I, th I thought it would be, you know, coming from it quite blindly and I thought it would be completely opposite, but actually NGOs want to own everything, you know, and... and I was, I was at Parliament two days ago, um, sitting in a in a room with loads of sort of various NGOs and um, journalists interested in Sri Lankan politics, and they sort of were looking around, going, "Where next?" There was this room of like real, like sort of um, you could feel the air pressure dropping because they, you know, Sri Lanka government doing this, doing that. They're getting more confident, and they're being supplied. They're being trained by Scottish police, for example. And we're all looking around, and, and they're, not, they're not helping each other. And there's no unified sort of way of working. They're all working disparate ways, and, yeah, it, it's just not... Uh, and that's a product of, of a system, a sort of political system... Absolutely. ...that's created a kind yeah. of rivalry. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, holding those thoughts about uh, going about things differently and being irreverent about these large given ways of doing things in large organisations, turning to Stephen to throw the same question at you, where you are today... Uh, government, how is that affected by your political interests? And does being irreverent also play a part? Just to go back to some of the things you were saying about NGOs and stuff, trying to trip each other up and not working together, a lot of that is relevant to, how, to the work that we do in government as well, which is quite interesting. I'll probably touch on that a bit later. But in terms of the UK, for me, is a great place to work in the public sector because it has such a history of doing really strong projects. So when you look at this the road science by Calvert and Kinnear. You look at the, the British rail work that design research di design research unit did to name but a few. It's just like it has this history of doing it. So when I moved to the UK about seven years ago, I uh, quickly became aware of the work that Ben Terra and his team were doing in the government digital service. So I joined GDS nearly about about six years ago now. Um, because I just thought the work that they were doing essentially was the modern day version of the road science, trying to help people engage with government, trying to help people understand government. And it was only when I joined that I realised just kind of how hard it is to get everything, all the information that government serve, serves to the public, how to get that in a, in a place that people understand, how to get that all under one roof, which we did with GovUK. But that was kind of essentially getting it under one roof is the relatively easy part but making that coherent for people is something that we're still trying to do and that's that piece of work will never be finished but a lot of the challenges there is just because it's really difficult trying to get departments to work together they all have their own kind of wall that they've built up around it due to things like budgets and they all work in their own silos so a lot of the stuff that we're doing today is trying to get break down these silos trying to get government work to work better together so they can serve the public better. And my goal as being a designer is to always go where the big problems are. And for me, government is where the big problems are. So that's why I like working there. And, the, and what sorts of tactics help you work with departments as opposed to sort of confronting the overall beast? I mean, how do you overcome the sort of fiefdoms that are inevitable in, in government? Well, the thing is, is like, as a designer, you don't go in 
talking about fonts and colors, you talk about users and budgets and how you can improve user experience, you can save money, you can you can reduce calls to case working systems, you can re- re- reduce the need for ridiculous wait times to users where they might you know call over silly things just because they haven't got given a notification about when their passport is due or when their license is due so you kind of talk you get straight away into the meaty problems about how you can how you can reduce yeah unnecessary casework and and calls into government you you can reduce the budget that they spend on this kind of stuff and you can just you can make them look good as well like there's often there's interesting tactics you deploy as a designer in order to help people understand what you do and kind of, you know, bring bring your experience and your skills. Some of them might be literally, if you're talking to someone, you're like, you'll say, oh, listen, I'll help you with your deck. I'll help you improve what you're trying to say here. And then you can kind of gain people's trust and then you can kind of start making the more strategic stuff that will ultimately, you know, bring the goals that you want. Are you finding similar tactics work in your field, Pally? Not talking about um, fonts and colours, but... Well, uh, and <laughs> it's a really interesting question because... Um, some of the um, places our work takes us. So, for example, United Nations. It's I don't know if you've ever seen been to a hospital and seen those um, charts, hierarchy charts, where doctors right at the top, nurses right at the bottom, and it always just freaks me out. I'm just, you know, doctors are very cold and clinical, and the nurses are the ones that are really just connecting with you, you know, as humans. And I always think about turning it sideways and. I have the same issue when um, we're at the United Nations and there's a clear sort of, you know, design is right. <laughs> I don't think, well, actually, it's not even, it's not even in the... Um, Doesn't even make the chart? Um, procurement process, right. the word design. So, um, for example, when we get commissioned by the UN, we come under the, um, like, flights to Sudan. That's how they get, that's how they get us in. <laughs> well, you know, any way possible, mm. you know, that's fine, whatever. But um, that would be a minor achievement if I could get the word design just costed in. Um, but unfortunately, it's not. And, and, you know, when I'm sitting in one of the rooms at some people will always come up to me and go, what are you? Or your, your jacket's funny. Or your socks are funny coloured. One of the... Um, things that, like, for example, design, the word design isn't actually in the procurement process at the Design Museum, um, Design Museum, UN. When we, when they commission us for projects, we have to um, come in as flights for Sudan. Yeah. Um, so, um, that, but that's the only way we can get in um, because they haven't factored in design in their budget. Yeah. Um, and then when you're in, is it, um, again, a, a language of budgets and this will make you look better or...? Um, no, it's more, you... it's more, luckily for us, so what I was saying, um, luckily for us, we, we've got one or two people that really believe in what we're doing yes. and how we, it's, it's pure collaboration with them. They understand that we can help them and vice versa. We can't, whatever design we come up with cannot exist without their sort of clout to get it into yeah. these sort of spaces. So the rest of them <laughs> don't give a shit, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, but that's fine. And um, slowly, slowly, as as we sort of push our work um, with the United Nations or um, specifically the Sri Lanka stuff as well, slowly when we start to push these things, which are pushing design as well, it's not like anything, unlike anything you've ever seen in these sort of places. And I'm not saying where, you know, we create the most beautiful thing in the world. I'm, I'm just saying... 
that it just looks different <laughs> to what, what they're normally used to. So um, slowly, slowly, we're trying to turn heads. Um, an interesting story is I was carrying, we designed some reports and we went to take them into Geneva, United Nations, so the Geneva headquarters. And um, security wouldn't let us through with the reports because they looked too interesting. <laughs> These look different from the rest of the reports that we... And, and so literally I was there for an hour before an event that we were supposed to be there for. And the security guards were looking at every single page on against each all the other reports and seeing if there was anything different because they were... You know, oh, so, so they, they felt didn't trust. they weren't what you said they were. That they yeah, were well, they just didn't trust it because it didn't look like a report. Right. <laughs> it just mm. looked too clinical, too accessible. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> you know, lots of lots of really interesting stories. I was I was last trip. I um, we were um, launching a Arrested General campaign, um, which was covered by. It's nice that I was stuck in a car. I'm not even lying to you. And I was being interrogated by two people. And they were like, Pally, wh- who are you? Wh- 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 where are you from? And I was like, they were obviously thinking, uh, you know, because um, the Sri Lankan government are um, infiltrating all sorts of NGOs and political groups to weaken them. Mm. And so there's this real sort of paranoia um, with certain groups that are with dealing with the Sri Lankan politics Um and so I was literally in a car for an hour sort of being interrogated by these two guys because they just didn't know who I was and yeah. whether to believe in the project, you know. So um, yeah. lots of really interesting yeah. stories. <laughs> and while we're on the um, sort of area of activism, Stephen, I would love to ask you just to say a few words about the sort of origins and aims of, of your interest in, in pictograms uh, with the London is, is Burning project in particular. Um, where did that come from and where is that project taking you now? Well, I've always been interested in this concept of universal understanding. So can we understand things without the limits of language, I suppose? So this goes right back to projects long before mine, like particularly around like isotype and yeah. things like that, the International System of Typographic Picture Education. Um started by Otto Neurath. But so mine just kind of tries to kind of pick up from some of the work there around like I suppose the nearest thing we have to a system of understanding these days is the Department of Transport Pictograms by Cook and Shinovsky from the seventies in the States. And it's like the stuff they're part of our subconscious now. If you grew up in Western society, we understand what those things are without really engaging with them. We know when we're in an airport we see the sign for or the symbol for a a train we know all right go that direction if i want to get the train into the city you know we see we know that the the, the the symbol for for toilets for lifts um so all the stuff i was really interested in so i, tar- I started to kind of get invested into how this language how rather than using it as modes for instruction how can we use it for modes to tell stories so i wanted to kind of pick a moment in time and try and investigate that a bit more so at the time when i was studying um i was doing a postgraduate in lcc and I was focused on pictogram, so I decided to pick the story of the riots as they unfolded over the course of about a week from the shooting of Mark Duggan to the ultimate arrest of the kind of the thugs that were causing the damage around the country. Um, so I just told that story in a 32-page newspaper in very icons which are quite... So a lot of that's the stories at the, at the time that we were hearing were told by you know, the different media outlets, they all had a particular take on why these things were happening, whereas with pictograms, they can be quite frank and blunt, and you kind of take your own interpretation. 
Um, so I just wanted to see how that would pan out and how you could tell stories with without using language and just using images like that. And um, I kind of did a few other investigations around, so I turned uh, a whole newspaper into pictograms just to see a, a day in the life, what, what was concerning people for that particular day in pictograms. And I done another project I did at the time was just looking at, over the course of 30 days, I picked the kind of main headlines from each day. And you can start seeing these really interesting themes. So, or themes. so for that particular month, like, again, just picking kind of tabloid newspapers were my focus at the time, you get these really interesting uh, things pop out that, like, for those 30 days, people were just concerned, essentially, with exit in the EU. And this was, again, this was back in 2011, so it's been around for a while. Mm. And uh, X Factor. So they were, like, mm. just the, the two kind of things you see. And when you kind of start investing in this over the course of 30 days, you see you can start these interesting characters start kind of forming. Um, so it's just trying to pick a type of design that is normally used for something else, using it for reporting, essentially, rather than for instruction. Um, and has that work influenced your, um, I don't know, your government work, your professional work, I was going to say? It's all professional, but uh, government Yeah, work. 100%. So, again, going back to this concept of universal understanding, I'm just, for me, I'm in the business of helping people understand things. And that's why, essentially, why I moved into to government, because... I felt that that was an area where people didn't really know how to engage with people, didn't understand how to use things. So for me, this concept of information is power is really important, but information is power only if you understand that information. If you understand that information, then you can participate in and engage with government. You can you can use their services. You, can, you have the agency to, to make choices then, whereas when you're facing a wall of jargon or a wall of unusable websites or services, you basically feel disempowered. And especially people who might be from areas of society who have been left behind, for me, this is really important to help them to properly engage with their public activities. I feel quite empowered that design can make such a difference. It's quite exciting to hear you both speak about these areas. I mean, would you say information is power is an important aspect of what you do? It's the key to most of the political stuff that we do. So similar to you, like just um, taking something that would just end up as black and white text, you know, bla- um, sorry, black text on white yeah. paper and get lost. Um, the main thing for me is uh, out my personal pursuit is truth telling, you know, the, the pursuit of truth and, and how that manifests um, in different organizations. They're all trying to do this like sort of similar thing. And for example, we, um, one of the reports, investigations sorry, that we were working on last year was documenting the types of um, torture methods. Mm. <laughs> and so um, we had the idea to, so similar to you, sort of creating an a iconography of uh, a sort of index of every single torture method the Sri Lankan army are using on people. And it's like, you know, like how you sort of innovate, there's innovations in tech and stuff like that. And Sri Lankans aren't part of that conversation, Mm -hmm. but actually Sri Lankans are innovating in torture. And there are a whole series of sort of things that you just wouldn't conjure up, um, you know, like barbed wire um, in their sort of anus, um, bags filled with curry powder, chili powder, you know, things that just you, you couldn't like sort of conjure up, just mm. is like actually innovative. The human rights lawyers that and the committee at the UN, they've never heard of anything like it in mm. their life. So mm. especially in the sort of voting mechanisms at these sort of political levels, if you can, because um, people don't really read 
that please don't tell me they read, you know, 50, 120 page reports. Right. That, it's not going to happen. So if we can speed that up five minutes, what do I get from that? Mm. That's, um, we, you know, we've done a tiny little part within that. We're, actually, the Stop Torture project swayed, we, we have tangible um, sort of proof that four countries swayed from abstaining to mm. voting yes because they saw the campaign and the information drove that. So it can work. And on that note of impact, last question, Stephen. Um, Gov.uk has been an exemplar, and I wonder if you know how much it has, if it has, and has it, how has it influenced other governments in other countries or other user interfaces in other countries? Um, yeah, that's a very good question. So we've had we've had over a hundred different government organisations from throughout the world into GDS over the last five or six years. Actually, interestingly, we're running an international design and government conference this summer because we run, um, we have weekly calls with our counterparts throughout the world and we talk about particular themes that might be concerning us at that time, whether it be design systems, whether it be how to ask about gender and sex, whether it be, you know, various things that you might be engaged with day to day when you're designing services within government. But yeah, we've had a, a massive impact on places like the United States Digital Service, even places like closer to home, like Ireland. Myself, I've talked to people from Israel, from from Australia. Yeah, so all over. The, and, and there's quite a few ex-GDS people now working in uh, in the in government organ, organizations in places like Canada and New Zealand and stuff as well. So definitely, our reach has kind of spread throughout the place and what's really important to say as well we're learning from them as well it's not just us telling people what to do it's we're actively engaged in conversation about best practice and it's it's really exciting and within kind of government here as well like we from a design perspective when i started at gds there was probably five or six of us now there's about 35 designers in gds and there's over 600 across government across the different departments around the country so design as a discipline has become really strong and that's some of the best work we've done actually over the last couple of years is getting design as a proper role in government like written down as part of a the proper professional structure and um, when in government when when i joined again we all fell under this thing called digital which just mm. means everything so that's kind of that involved a lot of work kind of mapping design and roles and role levels to the kind of civil service framework and um but it's really exciting now that we have a properly established and it's just it's i think it's really good for for the future moving forward as well that design is a proper or design and government is a proper option for people graduates of, of places like um csm well there's also hope for the un if uh, go- design has a proper place in uk government maybe uh, that'll change that. yeah <laughs> <laughs> um pally and stephen thank you so much thanks a lot thank really you great Cheers. thoughts GCD Transmissions is a podcast from the Graphic Communication Design Programme at Central St. Martins, hosted by Peter Hall and produced by Tommaso Russo. Additional support provided by Kate Pellon, Pierre-Emmanuel Lemaire and Lou Vormitag. Thanks for listening.